Hi, this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. We hope you are staying safe, sound, and sane as this year continues to drag on and we do all that we have to do to get through this pandemic. Well, how about this? If you want to be on a Zoom call that isn't dreadfully boring, please join us for Zoomapalooza, an interactive adventure of fun, games, comedy, and who knows what else. Tickets are absolutely free or hire us for your next office or corporate event. Just visit pod617.com slash Zoom. That's pod617.com slash Zoom. Now enjoy the following production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves. Welcome to the Boston Podcast, the show where we tell the stories of your city through the voices of your city. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Share it with a friend or an enemy or your pet dog or really whoever might want to listen. Please, we could really use the attention. And by the way, here at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, we produce podcasts, so you could have your own show, guys. Hey, wouldn't that be fun? Go to pod617.com to get started if that interests you. And speaking of interesting, I have a wicked interesting guest today. Her name is Denise Kegler. She is an award-winning communications, marketing, and brand strategist. She's also an author which means she's written at least one more book than I have because I'm still working on mine. So, so far I have the title. I'll tell you about that later. Anyway, her book is called $40 in a Brand, How to Overcome Challenges, Defy the Odds, and Live Your Awesomeness. Please welcome to the virtual studio, the very awesome Denise Kegler. Yeah, yeah. See, when you have a brand, you have fans that follow you around, right? How how are you doing? I always ask everyone. I know your world changed just like everybody else's, but how are you making your way through the remaining miserable moments of 2020? They don't necessarily have to be miserable, but how has it been? How has it been for you? I know, right? Mm. Well, thank you, David, for having me. And it's been good. I will tell you, it it's been better since two days ago. And I'll tell you just a quick story why. Yeah. So my birthday was in June, and my daughter bought me. Uh, a matching necklace, D necklace, like her necklace, because her name is Danielle. So she bought us two matching necklaces mm. and she wears hers all the time. Mm. And I couldn't find mine. I had, I remember about a month ago wearing it and I had taken it off because it had done something. I can't remember what, but I took it off and I could not figure out where it was. I looked everywhere for it. Mm. And I finally had to admit to her that I couldn't find it. Mm. She was like, oh, and she was so disappointed. She's in her 20s, so she's not little but she was so disappointed that she that i lost this necklace that she was so proud to present to me for my birthday and of course i felt like crap and i looked everywhere my bedroom my closet my drawers my jewelry box everywhere and i was laying in bed uh, two nights ago in our brains sometimes we get cluttered with stuff we're constantly thinking and working and now pivoting and strategizing our businesses and how we're going to survive and so like a lot of people my brain was constantly just cluttered with stuff mm. and i made the decisions i was laying in bed okay denise clear your brain of all of this clutter and just be mm. just be and maybe it'll come to you where you put yeah. this necklace right 
that's exactly what I did. I laid in bed and I said, okay, Denise, because I'm a type A, I'm always working on something. Mm -hmm. And I forced myself to just be and clear my mind of everything. And I have this vision. It's going to sound stupid and make me sound crazy and whatever. Although I listened to your Paranormal Activity podcast, which I love because I'm oh. so into, I love Paranormal Activity. Yes, Monsterland, yes. I love it all. So I'm laying there and sure enough, I have a vision that I put the necklace inside the box it came in and I put it inside my drawer. Mm. And I thought, you know, so I fell asleep and I woke up and it took me a minute to remember this vision. Yeah. And I thought, no way, there's no way. So I go into my closet, fingers crossed, and I remember this vision, opened my drawer and I saw the little white box and I thought, no way, right. no way. Right. I took out the box and I, first I shook it because I said, I'm not going to be disappointed if it's empty. Right. Right. So I shook it and I heard like jingling inside. I thought, oh my gosh. Yeah. And I opened it up and the necklace was in there. Wow. I was so excited. And so the moral of that story is, and as I mentioned, is sometimes we just have to clear our brains, our minds of stuff and just be. Mm. And we all get caught up. We Sometimes it takes a lot to make us not really stay or get caught up in all the stuff that's going on. But it is so important to do that. And that's what I did. And so I'm so relieved and I'm so happy. I'm so happy that I found this. Well, I, I need to know more about this mystery. <laughs> did, do you remember why you put it in the box? Or were you like sleepwalking when you put it in the box or something? Or <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I used to yeah. sleepwalk as a kid. Oh. I did, which is funny that you mentioned that. But no, you know what? I remembered I had it on and it was right right now it's on, on my blouse. But I remember wearing it and I didn't have a, I had a lower cut blouse. It was on my skin. Mm. And I was, maybe I was about to go on Zoom or something. And I looked and it was twisting and it was caught on maybe the my lotion or whatever, my skin. And it kept twisting. Mm. So it looked bad. And I thought, okay, I can't be on Zoom and have it you know, coming up or rising up and twisting and not making the letter D. Mm. And so I took it off, but I didn't remember anything else after that because I think I just got right into it. I see. Right. So you did something, it was like uh, almost involuntary. You kind of by like mechanically just put (laughs) it away. And right. And so that's fascinating to me. And that's, it is a great lesson to, to clear your mind and remember those things. It's funny how we do sort of negotiations with our own brains about certain things. The, the putting something where you're going to remember it, it is a negotiation with your future self. Like what is Dave tomorrow morning going to, where is he going to want to find his keys? Because I don't care. I, I'm not tomorrow, Dave. I'm just today, Dave. So I'll put the keys wherever I please. Who cares? But, and yeah, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. I remember I, I bought, uh, this is random, but I bought a pack of those little batteries that go in our fobs for our, and they go in cameras and stuff, but they're little circular batteries. You got to make a special trip to get those. And I remember at the supermarket, all they had was a pack of like six. And I'm like, well, I don't need six, but that's all they have. So fine. So I took one out. I replaced the fob in my, which, which had run out of batteries. I'm all set. And I put it on the top of my car saying to myself, now, don't forget that it's on the top of your car. And then I went, I unloaded some other groceries. Sure enough, I get home and I'm like, God, you, you forgot it. It was right on top of the car. And now somebody has your batteries. Anyway, so 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 tell me, tell me why, how you got into this line of work and tell me why you're good at it. Because it occurs to me what you do is similar to what I do in at least one fashion is you help people tell stories. And I, I think that's cool. So tell me a little bit about how you got to this moment. 
I, and I'm a, a huge believer and fan of storytelling. And, and that's why your podcast and other ways that people can stay informed and entertained and whatever that is, is so important. But it's more important for, or as important, well, maybe more important for us to each become our own great storyteller. And so I'll go back probably way too far, but I'll go back to when I was a kid. And this is what put me on my path. I often talk to my, my clients about their why and discovering your why is it that you do what you do? Because there's a lot of research out there and stats out there that shows that people who are connected to their why, who connect their what to their why or more fulfilled, they find more meaningfulness in what they do. They enjoy more what they do, not just like it. Cause you like working because you make money and you get to travel and you work with nice people. But there's a difference between liking what you do and feeling fulfilled with what you do and finding meaningfulness in what you do. So storytelling helps you tap into that and discovering your why really helps you tap into that. So when I was a kid, I, I was a terribly shy introvert, horribly shy. I grew up poor, Southeast DC, a single mother, two sisters. And I was so shy and introverted that when a teacher would call on me in class to answer a question, middle, elementary, middle school, high school, I would be so consumed with fear that literally tears would well up in my eyes and stream down my face. Mm, you poor thing. So you can imagine mean kids are mean. Oh yeah. And so crying in front of classmates when you're at that impressionable age put a target on my back. And so I was a victim of bullying. I was bullied every day, robbed of the 50 cents my mother gave us for the snack truck almost every day. And I knew I couldn't go through life, let alone build a career, crying every time somebody you know, asked me to speak in front of anyone other than my two sisters and my mother. And so I, I needed to somehow figure out a way to, to break out of that. Mm. And so I was consumed by television. I was a product of television. I watched all those TV shows where people were rich, mostly white folks, Dynasty and Ross <laughs> Landing, and you see them coming home and they're going and they're going to the bar and getting a glass of whatever. And I remember thinking, I want to live like that. But I could, I felt sort of confined by my own self-imposed jail restrictions, whatever. And I decided to, and I don't, not, I can't really put into words why I knew this, mm. but I knew I needed to force myself to, to move in. People say outside your comfort zone. I say, expand your comfort zone. Because where you're moving to, you want to eventually feel comfortable in that space. And so I forced myself to, when I, I put myself through college, I went to Emerson College in Boston, which I loved. I forced myself to major in broadcast journalism. <laughs> oh, hey, cool. Talk about torture. Mm-hmm. Here I am, terrified. I'm crying in class because I wouldn't want to speak in front of 20 people. And here I am majoring in something that would have me speaking in front of hundreds, of, if not thousands of people. Right. But I forced myself to do it. And I eventually went through college, put myself through college, and I got a job as a television news reporter. But I didn't like it. I wasn't very good at it. And maybe because I wasn't very good at it, I didn't like it. Or maybe because I didn't like it, I wasn't very good at it. Whatever. It wasn't for me. It wasn't my my why. It wasn't really connected to my why. What I do now is, so I left television, was fortunate to be recruited by Reebok. No, my first job out of television was Boys and Girls Clubs of Boston. Mm -hmm. And I was director of communications there. And then while I was there, I was discovered, if you will, by Reebok executive. And and so long story short, I was hired there at Reebok. And, And I found myself 
learning strategies on how to overcome, which is why I wrote my book, how to overcome challenges and defy the odds and live my awesomeness. And that's what I want to help other people do is to recognize when you're facing challenges or obstacles to understand that there is a way to break out of it. There is a way to defy the odds and live your dreams and be fulfilled and find meaningfulness in what it is that you that you do. I have no idea if I completely answered your question, but no, it's a lot of great stuff. A lot of great stuff that we have to unpack now. So I'm getting out my unpacking gear. For, okay, I'll help you unpack. Yeah. First of all, I, I just laughed when you said that the TV shows you were watching, like Dynasty and Knott's Landing or whatever, are these, in my word, in my word, yeah, rich, rich white folk. And it, it reminded me that Eddie Murphy did a now legendary bit on SNL where he, as an, as a social experiment, he dressed as a white man. Do you remember that? He, he, and he's, and he said, I had to study not just the way they looked, but the way they behaved, the way they moved. I had to watch a lot of dynasty and you see him watching dynasty and he goes, look, see how they walk with their butts clenched. They, but so, so that, yeah. And well, for, Someone like me growing up in a nice suburban town, but not extravagant. I watched those shows thinking, are there really people that live like this? But you mentioned Reebok. And if you'll indulge me, I have to tell you my Reebok story because it's kind of cute. It involves my son. So when my son was maybe eight years old or so, I wanted to do something special for him for the holidays. And he was really into sneakers, like a lot of kids are at that age. They, He's going online and like designing his own shoe because Reebok had a, a site, I think it was Reebok anyway, that you could go and design your own shoe. And then if you click here, if you want to buy that shoe, it costs like $1,000 or something. So we never let him buy it. But he was just always into his shoes. And so I was acquainted with the general counsel at Reebok. I sent him uh, an email saying, this is going to sound weird, but it would mean a lot to me if you could maybe give us a tour, which I had a feeling he would do. I had taken a tour of the Reebok campus before, which used to be in Stoughton. Well, maybe it's, yeah, I don't know if it's still in Stoughton. It's definitely moved from where it used to be, but anyway. Stoughton and it moved to Canton. Oh, right. Yeah. Now now it's at the seaport downtown. Okay. Right. And I'm sure it's just as spectacular now as it was then, but it is just what you'd think of a Reebok center would look like with colors and athletes images everywhere. And I said to the guy, could you invite us to take a tour and could you maybe send me a something on Reebok stationery that says, you know, something about Griffin being into shoes. So sure enough, he sends me this letter and I give it to Griffin on Christmas or Hanukkah, whatever it was. And he opens it up and says, dear Griffin, I understand you are an aspiring shoe designer. We're always looking for that next great creative talent at Reebok. So I'd be delighted if you would come take a tour of the Reebok, you know, plants mm-hmm. to see what we're all about. And so he looked at it, his little like eight-year-old eyes and says, dad, does this mean I'm getting a job? And I said, said, well, maybe not today, but it does. We get to go meet this guy at Reebok. And he was very kind and he showed us through and they had, you'll probably remember, they have like, it's part of the office is like a museum, like showing all the advances and the breakthrough, like the pump sneaker, which I had before I broke it within a couple of days. But, and Griffin was picking out all the shoes. He goes, oh, yeah, that's this and that's that. And that's, and the guy was like, hey, and then his, the coup de gras was while you're there, you get to shop at the Reebok store with the employee discount. So we went on a little shopping spree. Anyway, did you enjoy your time at Reebok? Oh, I was there 17 years. Oh, wow. Okay. And I could not have asked for a better experience. I traveled the world, met 
and worked with amazing professionals, athletes, musicians. The list is incredible. And I, in, in my book, $40 in a Brand, I tell a lot of Reebok stories. A couple of the stories, I couldn't list the people by name. I showed it to my attorney, the manuscript. He's like, I think you probably shouldn't put this person's name in this story. And I'm like, really? He goes, well... Why? I would say why? Because they might seem like they won't care. These are like huge, multi-billion-dollar yeah. celebrities. Like they won't even read the book. They right. won't even know the book is even out. Mm-hmm. And besides, maybe a lawsuit might even bring more yeah. attention. Yeah, yeah. Like no, no, no. Take mm-hmm. the name. So there was one particular story where I did have to take out the names of the oh, celebrities bummer. involved. And he, my yeah, my attorney made me take out the name. But anyway, the book talks about it was uh, Shaquille O'Neal, wasn't it? No, don't say it. It's okay. <laughs> In he, this he, case, it was actually a, mus- a very famous um, musician. Okay. An event we did in Atlanta who was just, well, okay, I'll just leave it at that. Oh, boy, okay. <laughs> read, you you got to read the book, people. $40 on a brand. No, but go ahead. You were saying. No. So I, the, there are a few stories I love, a few experiences. Probably the, one of the more memorable experiences during my 17 years was when Reebok launched the sub-brand RBK. Mm-hmm. And we partnered with a lot of celebrities to come out with their signature RBK shoe. So I worked with Scarlett Johansson on her hearts Scarlet Hearts by RBK. So I hosted a press event, press conference with Scarlet, which was amazing. We had dinner the night before, then we had a press conference the next day, which was great. And she was amazing. But probably the one, and, and there are tons of stories. Dion von Furstenberg and Venus Williams had a collaboration. So I did an event with them in London. But the one experience that I write about in my book was Jay-Z. And so I flew on a private jet with Jay to Europe to launch his S. Carter by RBK shoe in Paris. And then we flew to London together, about six of us on the jet. Mm. And that was amazing because I knew I found out two days before that I was going to go with Jay to Europe because it was supposed to be the music, the record label executive who bought Jay to Reebok who was going to go. And then two weeks, two days before the trip, the record label producer called me and said he couldn't go. Something had come up and he wanted me to go in his place. And I thought, there is no way I'm going to fly to Europe with Jay-Z. He doesn't know me. He won't right. care anything about me. But there was something, this gets back into branding. There was, and, and the record producer told me everything that he had learned about me and seen about me and working with me, told him that he could trust me with this amazing successful musician jay-z and he felt that he could pass the torch to me with the clear conscience and knowing that i would manage that trip as well as he he could because he had seen what i was doing my work ethic my brand during the time that we had worked together and so two days later i, I go to new york meet up with jay at the airport there and we fly and it, it was an amazing experience what was he what was he like he's a man who knows his brand i will share one yeah. one one story that told me that, and I learned a lot about branding from Jay. We were right before I left. Of course, once it got, once work got out of Reebok, that I was taking the trip with Jay Z. Everybody was coming to me saying, "Hey, can you show them this? Can you ask them this?" Can you? So everybody's coming to me saying, "Oh, Denise." So one one of our licensing guys came to me with a pair of sunglasses, mm. and he handed them to me. He said, "Denise." It would be great if you could get Jay to try these on and give us his feedback because we want to tweak them, the design, and, and, and before we've taken the market, bring the market. And I, I said, all right, I don't know if I'll get an opportunity, but I'll take them. So I took the sunglasses. So we get to Paris and we were hungry. So we go to a restaurant we, and the restaurant wasn't open yet, but of course it was Jay-Z. So they opened it up and they let us in. It was only the six of us. 
And I'm, I'm sitting there stressing out because I'm, I got the licensing guys, words in my head and people, other people asking me to show Jay things. And so I pull out the sunglasses and I have them in front of me at the table and I'm sitting next to him. And I said, Jay, I said, one of our licensing guys gave me these sunglasses and they would love for you to try them on and give you his, give you, Mm. give them your feedback. And it was a response that has stuck with me ever since. And I learned so much. He, (laughs) they were sitting in front of me and he looked at them Mm -hmm. and he said, there is, and this is kind of mean, I don't really want to sound mean, Mm -hmm. but he said to me, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm telling this story because it's kind of that. I love it. Now that I'm remembering (laughs) (laughs) his story, Mm -hmm. but, but it's a lesson learned from anyone who's out there. He knows his brand. So he said to me, Denise, something along the lines of, there's no way I'm even going to put those sunglasses on because mm. it's not a pair of sunglasses that I would wear. And for me to even take them and put them on is not in keeping with what I would wear. And I remember, and I, and well, I, what was it? Was it like the, the funny eyebrows and mustache glasses? Is that oh, what it no. was? was no, I know exactly. Was, they were regular sunglasses. Okay, I, thought right. they were, I thought they were nice, but you, right. you know, you got you know, these guys, I mean, they know exactly right. what you want. And what I learned from that, those, 30 seconds of that conversation, because it went by really quickly, was that here's a man who knows what his brand is, and he's not going to compromise it for anything or Mm -hmm. anyone. And I learned a lot from those few seconds that we should all have that sort of work ethic or what is the word? Be so tapped into who we are and understand that any association impacts our brand, who we associate with, the products we associate with impact who how people, you know, view us and look at us. And this is the man who knows. This is why he's so successful because he knows exactly who he is and what he likes and what he doesn't like. He has to because he has to manage all of his, all of his 99 problems, right? If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got, got 99, 99 problems, problems, but a bitch ain't one. I got the rap control on the cat. So after he met you, after he met you, Denise, he had one fewer problem. It should have been called 98. I, yeah, I, I do. He is someone who is very comfortable with his fame, I would say, which is n- no small feat, really. That there are so many celebrities we know that we, a lot of people, we maybe just don't like because why? I don't know. Because they seem like they walk around with an ego or they're defensive or they're always tweeting nasty things. But then there are some people who really embrace their fame. I think Jay Z's one. I think someone like. Justin Timberlake is another. He just he seems very comfortable in his own skin, and so that. Oh, well, how do I top the Jay Z story? I, I almost don't know where to go next. So, t- t- of all the folks that you've met over the years, give me an example of someone maybe you've worked with or at least witnessed where you helped usher maybe a new brand for this person or help this person find their brand, elevate their brand. Mm-hmm. Any any anything come to mind? Well, I'll tell you, yeah, I will tell you a, a story that I, I do like sharing, and that is about inmates. Mm. And so before the pandemic, I had contracts with, well, I suppose I started the contracts, but I'm not obviously doing the work, but I would go around to various prisons around the state, around the Commonwealth, and I would work with inmates in these various house of corrections. Mm. And it, it was, and, and I hope will one day resume to be the most, some of the most rewarding work I've ever done and will ever do. These are men and women who are incarcerated because 
most times they did just something, one stupid thing. Sometimes yeah. it was more because sometimes they come, they leave and they come back and leave and they unfortunately get arrested again. But for the most part, I found that the men and women who I met behind bars really just went down a wrong turn or associated with someone who was not going to help them, in fact, was hurting them. Mm. And so I would go in and I would execute or facilitate these personal branding workshops. And I had four, there's a four week program. And I remember walking out several times, I'd walk out of the, the class and the, the officers would come up to me and they would say, Denise, what on earth are you doing with these guys? And they would be so excited. So I knew it was something good that they were thinking. And I would say, why? And I said, these guys, I know these guys, they walk out of your workshops and they are different people. They are happy. They talk about your programs. What are you doing with those guys? Like, what is it that you're doing that is so tapping into who they are, making them so happy? And I said, you walk into the, the workshop rooms and I'm just who I am. I'm an open book. I am, I express my feelings about why I think they're there, that they made a stupid decision, but I also let them know that I care about them, which is why I'm there. And these guys, oftentimes people just need to know that you care. Mm. These guys need to know that they, that even though they made a stupid decision or whatever it is, that they're incarcerated, that somebody cares about their livelihoods and their lives post-incarceration. And so I, I somehow found a way to tap into the psyche of these guys. And that's what I would share with them when I would go into the workshops. A lot of this is mental. They don't believe, not all of them, but a lot of times... They don't believe that they can be better, do better, change their lives, mm -hmm. go down the right path, not be in, uh, arrested again once they leave prison. They just have to know that somebody, one, that they believe that they can do and that there's somebody who believes that they can do it. Mm -hmm. And I would go in there and I would make them understand, I believe in you. I know that you can do this, but you have to first believe in yourself. You've got to believe that you're not going to go down this road again. And so I did a lot of, I have a lot of activities and exercises that I do with these guys. And one of them, I sit down and I do a mock interview mm -hmm. and I have a series of questions. And one of the questions is, are you confident that you will not get arrested again? This is a mock job interview, I take it. A mock it. job so interview. You, yes, they okay. each had to do with me. So they were, I'll just say there were 20 guys or women in a room and I would have two chairs in the front of the room and I would one by one, I'd do a mock interview. That question was fascinating because they would kind of wiggle in their chair, go, mm, hum. I'm like, no. There's only one answer to that question. <laughs> There's only one answer. Right. And that is, yes, I'm confident that I would not get arrested again. Right. But, you know, some of the guys were okay doing that. But some of them would push back and say, well, Denise, then it was one excuse after another. Well, maybe I go down to the store and the cops are there <laughs> and I've got a quarry and they're going to arrest me again. I'm like, okay, no. Mm. They said, well, my boys might come and get me. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Screw your boys, guys, because <laughs> yeah. your boys might be the reason you're here in the first place. Yeah. And you have to have the strength to say, no, I'm not going to go down to the store with you. I know there are cops hanging out and they might scoop me up and put me back in jail. You have to believe more in yourself. You have to have more confidence, your ability to say no. You have to have more, I don't know, love for your own future and for your family just say, I'm going to resist the temptation to go with these guys and do anything that might, even slightly, might get me back in trouble. Right. 
for sure. So the answer to the question is, yes, I'm confident that I'm not going to get arrested again because you do have the power to make that decision. There are some things that are not within our control. I get that. Mm. But choosing to go with your boys down to the store where you know their cops are going to be, that you might get arrested again, that's within your control. Right. And you right. have to say no. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you bring up that point, because if, if you can help elevate the the brand and confidence and communication skills of inmates, then I'd say you could do it for just about anybody. Her name, once again, is Denise Kegler. And if you want more info on Denise and everything she does, it is mdkbrandmanagement.com. And the name of her book is $40 in a Brand, How to Overcome Challenges, Defy the Odds, and Live Your awesomeness available on Amazon. It's you still got time before Christmas. Well, we're recording this before Christmas. I don't know when you people are listening to it, but maybe for next Christmas it's in paperback. It's only 24 99. That sounds like a bargain. Tell us about the book. What was the inspiration and what will we get out of it? The inspiration, and thank you for asking, the inspiration for the book was when I worked in corporate, I was traveling around the world, meeting so many different people and seeing a lot of young people who are a lot like me, facing challenges, whether they were shy, introverted, have financial issues, whatever it was. Because I, I did a lot of, and I still do, not as much, but nonprofit volunteer work on boards. I sit on, I think, three or four boards right now. But all through corporate, I sat on boards. I would co-chair different fundraising events. Charlie Baker and I partnered on a couple of different fundraising events. And I would I would meet so many people. So when I uh, left corporate and started my company, I had some time in between. And I had all throughout my corporate career, I would take notes and write down. I had someone, Vernon Jordan said something to me years and years ago. We were having lunch in New York at the Rainbow Room. And he said to me, Denise, you're having so many great experiences the one piece of advice I have for you is to write everything down because at some point you're not going to remember these experiences. So write them down. And at that moment I would come back from a trip or an experience. I would take notes in my computer. And so when I left corporate, I thought, you know what, I want to put, I want to take all these notes and write a book that is going to help someone else overcome their challenges like I did. And so that was my inspiration was to help other people like the, the second part of the book, how to overcome challenges to find the awesome of your awesomeness. The Defy the Odds was interesting because I remember in D.C., I was at the Black Congressional Caucus Gala, or one of the events around the Black Congressional Caucus. I think that was the event. I can't remember. But one of the trips I took to D.C., I'm sitting at this big event with all these muckety-muck VIP people. Mm-hmm. And this white, older guy, probably at what well, I'm in my, at this time, I was probably in my 30s, maybe remember my late thirties and this older guy, probably in his sixties, he turned to me and he looked at me and he said, you shouldn't be here. Oh boy. And it took me a bat, but he, I, but it took me a second and he, and he quickly followed up because no, not that you're not welcome here. And this came out of nowhere. Yeah, he yeah. just sort of just came out, came at me with this. And I kind of smiled. He goes, no, I don't mean like that. You're a black woman. And you're, oh, because we had been talking about work, I think. Mm -hmm. And he said, you shouldn't be here, meaning at this place in your life, that the odds were against you as a black female to have the job you have, to be sitting here in this room with all of these people. The odds were against you to be at this place. So basically, what are you going to do with it? And those words stayed with me, too, which is why I put that in the book. We all have an opportunity to defy the odds. We just have to make it clear in our own minds and believe that we're capable of doing that and in living the life that we want to live. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, pushing through whatever obstacles you're facing, defying the odds and living and living your awesomeness. So that was my inspiration to help other people live whatever um, life of awesomeness they want to live. We could all and use- it's an interactive book. There's there are activities and exercises. There's oh, a cool. journal at the back of the book. So it isn't, and it's a book that has, as I mentioned about the Jay-Z story, there's a Bill Clinton story that is very interesting. My, my interesting experience with Bill, with President Bill Clinton, he was a sitting president at the time. But so there are those stories, there are a lot of stories that match up with different tips and different steps on how you build your brand. I just want to say that I thank you, Denise, for helping me build my brand because I can be as awesome as you can. I've heard- <laughs> that guy has a brand. He definitely has a brand. <laughs> some good, some not so good maybe, right? But yes, he. no, I think part of his brand is we all know that he was, how we say, imperfect. And the Me Too movement has not treated him very well because you know, when that documentary came out a couple of years ago, or maybe it's just one year ago, about Monica Lewinsky and Clinton. And it is a little uh, shameful, but the way he behaved during that whole thing. But the other thing that I always think of when I think of Bill Clinton is that he's known as a guy who will always treat you warmly and will remember you and no matter how big the room is. And I think that's a key to his success. And there's something to that. So, uh, Yeah, no, and that's how I got to meet him. Exactly that. He yeah. was leaning into that brand, yeah. Well, if you want to know the whole story, you got to buy the book. 40, yes. Come on. Yes. Get you your, said it. I didn't say it. You yeah, said I'm it. I'm saying it. Let's get your little <laughs> bank here, Denise, while we're on the pod. $40 in a brand, how to overcome challenges, defy the odds, and live your awesomeness. Find it on Amazon, wherever you find your fine books. In a moment, before we go, Denise and I are going to play a round of good stuff. We'll each recommend something good that will hopefully brighten your day. It could be almost anything at all. I don't know what Denise is going to say. Maybe it's the new Jay-Z album, but maybe not. Before we do that, let me take just one minute to remind you of what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. Pod617.com is where you go if you want your own podcast. You could be the next big podcast star. It's a great way. It's a great way to elevate one's brand is to do a podcast, invite people in your network, invite your clients, invite people you would like to be your clients, invite anybody you like to be a guest on your show. They'll be amazed. We do the quality job here. We go from start to finish, intro music, outro music, everything in between, posting, hosting on Amazon, not on Amazon. Well, I suppose that it is. you can't find podcasts on Amazon. I was trying to say Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other sources. Go to pod617.com to get started. The Boston Podcast Network in pod. We trust. All right, let's play a round of good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. You've passed the audition, Denise, because like me, you were bopping a little bit to the B-52s. It's a good litmus, litmus test for my guests, whether they're cool and confident enough to get down, even if it's only over Zoom and not being too cool for school. And I yell at people when they don't dance. Anyway. Um, okay. Tell us, do you have something, Denise, to recommend to our listeners for good stuff? I do. So one of the things that many of us have been doing is pivoting. And some of the pivots have taken us more into digital, the world since we can't do as much or if any um, in-person work. And so I've been doing that and learning a lot of digital marketing related tools. And there, there are a bunch, but the one I'm completely in love with, and perhaps your listeners know this tool is Canva. Do you know Canva? I, it's funny. Some people have been telling me about Canva for a while, and I use Adobe Spark which is 
apparently exactly the same as Canva, except you have to pay for the one I have. So ah. who's the dummy? Anyway. Yeah. And Canva, you can upgrade. I don't. I get the free and I can <laughs> right. do everything I need to do with the free Canva. So I love playing around with Canva. There's another one since you do Lumen 5, the video. No. Okay. So I'll talk more about Lumen 5. So L-U-M-E-N 5. Lumen 5. And you can make videos. So you have your smartphone and you can record because now there's research out there that shows if people, so I'm, I'll think I'll talk about Facebook ads for a second. Mm-hmm. People are more engaged with the Facebook ad if it doesn't look professional and polished, like you hired a big production team to record it. So you take your phone, you record a video, you upload it to Lumen 5, and you can add stuff. You can add words, you can add built, whatever. You can have mm-hmm. transitions. You just have a lot of fun creating and producing your own videos. I'm just learning Lumen 5, so I'm not an expert at it, but it's a tool that I plan on spending more time so I can perfect my videos. So Lumen 5. This is good information for me. So uh, the first one you mentioned, Canva, is for creating logos and other designs. You can social media posts, uh, anything. And and, and it's easy. LinkedIn banners, Facebook banners. I mean, a lot, yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the one I use for video, or at least to create audiograms for our podcast, which are, are really just, it's a still image, but it's got a waveform going across it. So you put a highlight from a podcast there and it's a way to jazz it up and turn it into a mini video. But it's pretty simple and it's pretty basic is what it is. I'm going to try Lumen 5. I think that's a that's an excellent tip. So that's very good. You, you, you passed the audition twice, Denise. Very, well done. I like those recommendations. I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend a documentary I just started watching. I guess I'm about two thirds of the way through it. I won't give it away. That's no, a documentary. You can't give it away. Anyway, it it concerns the mysterious. We're talking about storytelling today. This is just a good story about a mysterious guy named DB Cooper. You might have heard of who hijacked a plane in 1971. And I'm going to play a little bit, maybe a minute or so of the trailer here. It's from HBO. It's uh, the mystery of DB Cooper. Just as we were starting the roll down the runway, the flight attendant next to me handed me this note. It said, you're being hijacked. I've got a bomb. Come sit next to me. When he got on a plane in Portland, Oregon last night, he was just another passenger. But today, after hijacking a Northwest Airlines jet, master criminal. He demanded $200,000 and four parachutes. Then he disappeared. E.B. Cooper. Don't know his identity. Don't know where he came from. Don't know what happened to him. There was one key thing your husband said to you. I'm Dan Cooper. There are thousands of people who say, I know who Cooper is. I believe it's my dad. I know my uncle was D.B. <laughs> Cooper. I realize I sound exactly like those people. I think he's one of the slickest cats ever on the face of the earth right now. The man's beat the system, so to speak, a little bit. The man who held the secrets. What secrets? What did we miss? Cooper figured it out, and he got away with it. I want to be a Cooper. I wish he had never told me anything. (laughs) So you get the point. That's on HBO, The Mystery of D.B. Cooper. But have you ever heard of this story? Yeah, it's not something that is on the tip of everyone's tongue. But again, it happened in 1971. A guy dressed in a sharp black suit boarded a plane from... Seattle to Portland, or maybe the other way around. No, I think that was it. Anyway, and he gets on, and he tells the stewardess he has a bomb, 
and I need you to divert this plane to Mexico. And then, so they do it. They follow his demands and they, in, in, they, first they get the passengers off. So they stop in uh, wherever they stopped and they let the passengers off. Just the crew is on and him and the stewardess is still sitting next to him the whole time. And he says, head towards Mexico. But then halfway there, he gets out, he parachutes out of the plane and he's never heard from again. And they gave him this, he's got this $200,000 of ransom money. And so when you watch the documentary, it's, it's very interesting and may, a little bit frustrating because, as you could tell from the trailer, there are like three or four different theories as to who this guy is. <laughs> Some people say, I'm convinced he didn't, just, he didn't survive the fall. Like, he, there's no way to safely parachute into this area. Others say, I'm convinced, as you heard the woman say, I'm convinced it was my dad or my husband or whatever. So it's cool. It's a good take. Wait a minute. So they never found? Did you haven't finished watching it yet? So I, I think my my sense is I don't even want to look at his Wikipedia page to, to sort of give away the end of this documentary. But I have a feeling it's still unsolved. I have a feeling they're gonna they're gonna let the the viewer decide who DB Cooper really is. But and uh, yeah, pretty interesting. And DB you you got it. So Denise, by the way, one more time, Denise. Kegler, it is MDK Management. No, I'm brand sorry. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. MDKBrandManagement.com is where you go to find out more information about Denise and buy your book, $40 in a brand. It's, it's, yeah, it's a stocking stuffer. Come on, people. So, Denise, I hope you had fun. I had a blast, David. Thank you so much for having me. You're a lot of fun, and I appreciate the opportunity. Well, we're both storytellers. we got to stick together. I agree with that. Amen. Because then what? Hey, you know what? I'm going to stop the outro music for a minute because something just occurred to me. This will be one of your new mantras. It's a quote that I keep on my board here. It actually comes from the TV show Game of Thrones. There's nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Nothing can stop it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. True. I agree with that. <laughs> yes. All right. So go out and tell some stories today, folks. Denise, thanks so much for joining me. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Share it with a friend, please. And if you want your own podcast, go to pod617.com to get started. On behalf of my new BFF, Denise Kegler. My name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Solomon.